0: Very good morning. This is Richard Chambers in for Kieran with you until one o'clock with news talks on the record. If you want to contact me during the programme, you can send me a text on 53106 at a cost of 30 cents, or you can also get me on Twitter at News Chambers. Lots and lots coming up on the programme today, uh, starting with our panel who have been going through some of the stories in the Sunday newspapers. We're joined by Lee's Hand, political columnist with the Times Ireland edition, and Sinead Ryan, consumer columnist uh, with Independent News and Media. Both very welcome and good morning. Uh, Just to start us off with some of the front page stories today, the Sunday Independent, a nation dares to dream as hockey heroes reach for the stars, lots of the front of the uh, Sunday. Front pages this morning carrying great photos of Ireland's uh, women's hockey team, of course, as they prepare for the World Cup final against the Netherlands today. 4.30 is when they face off uh, with Holland. Front page of the Sunday Independent, no different. Uh, Sinead, uh, or Anna Flanagan, I should say, celebrating victory uh, yesterday over Spain. A great photo there. Um, Ross turns on FG as Granny Grant's tension escalates is the secondary headline there Uh, Transport ministers broadside sparks renewed election budget fears we'll get into that one uh, a little bit later on this is based on an article uh, written by Shane Ross in the Sunday Independent something he's used to doing I think they kept his byline picture and all Uh, but Shane Ross on the warpath here turning on mandarins and gurus and all comers uh, something we'll go into shortly Uh, the Sunday Times front page um, a story by Mark Tiger who's seen a copy of the ODCE file on INM which includes more allegations by the former CEO Robert Pitt against former chairman Leslie Buckley all of which he denies. Also on their front page, no deal Brexit is odds on, says UK Minister. Uh, The story there that uh, the International Trade Secretary in Theresa May's government, Liam Fox, uh, talking down his government's own chances of reaching a deal with Brussels on Brexit, avoiding the worst case scenario, which officials within Whitehall have already described as catastrophic. Also there, Leo, I'll push Pope on gay rights. The Taoiseach says he intends to tell Pope Francis that Irish people regard households headed by same-sex parents as families when he meets the pontiff at Dublin Castle later this month. Over in the Sunday Business Post breast check screening programme under threat uh, spectre of legal action mounts while doctors threaten to resign from service that's the story uh, from their health editor Susan Mitchell who will join us shortly on the programme with more details also on their front page DUP leader Arlene Foster set for surprise invite uh, to Papal Mass in Park no indication yet of whether or not Arlene Foster is actually going to attend she has uh, you know, crossed some barriers traditional barriers I suppose you could say over the past number of months uh, attending the Ulster football final where her own beloved uh, Fermanagh were playing in that one. I'm not sure if uh, she's gone back for any of the uh, qualifiers or the Super 8 since then. But anyway, um, Brexit could deliver massive shock to Irish SMEs, Warren's finance. their other story there from Jack Horrigan-Jones. And then over to the Mail on Sunday which many of the are the, co- the papers today covering uh, the um, presidential uh, race for the Auris 18. I want all of 325,000 euro Auris salary, says Gavin Duffy, presidential candidate. Gavin Duffy will not be taking a pay cut if elected unless Ireland experiences an economic crash, or he's directed to do so uh, by the government. Of course, Michael D. Higgins, our current president, uh, uh 75,000 euros of presidential pay. Gavin Duffy also says... He likes Donald Trump's style, not something that's particularly, uh, you know, a, a helpful thing to say, I suppose, if you're a candidate in this day and age. But as a businessman and former reality TV star... I'm sure he does see a lot of himself in Donald Trump. We'll have more on the presidential race a little bit later on. But we are joined now live from London uh, by Fiona Marshall, who received 97 international caps for Ireland. Uh, Ireland, of course, playing in a World Cup final. The first ever Irish team at any grade in senior or any sport uh, in a senior team sport uh, to participate in a World Cup final. A huge, huge uh, achievement by the team there. And let's hope they go one better today. I'm joined, as I say, on the line by Fiona Marshall. Fiona, good morning to you. Morning, Richard. Fiona, how are the nerves today? I mean, how are you feeling? I never, I don't think you ever expected to be waking up on the morning of a World Cup final.
1: Oh, very nervous. It's really spectacular here. The number of people that we have over is just superb. And people leaving Southern Airport this morning were just running around trying, <coughs> excuse me, trying to get tickets um, because people are just coming over in
0: busloads. Mm. Will you tell us what's special about this group of players? I mean, they were rank outsiders at the start of this tournament and they've pulled it all together and they have managed uh, to capture the public's imagination in a way no hockey team I ever thought would in this country. What is special about this group?
1: They're a team. Mm. There's no individuals. They all play for each other. They work for each other. They really look as if they're enjoying it. Um, they came out yesterday. They were acknowledging all the people that had been there and they're just working so, so hard for each other. There's no one particular individual who's taking any of the limelight. They're just all um, doing good basics, keeping possession. The fence has been absolutely superb. Hmm.
0: And to even to keep their nerves in two, two penalty shootouts in a row, I mean, it is just the tension which just comes through the television set where you're watching it. It must be a very different thing when you're participating in it or even watching it live.
1: It's It's horrific. Just even see whoever the penalty taker is going up, having to take, you know, 10, 15 seconds. It doesn't seem like a lot of time just before they even get to start it. But it's really, really nerve-wracking just watching it, you know, from the supporters' point of view. Eight seconds isn't a huge amount of time to get from the 22 and to put the ball into the back of the net. And we're doing it.
0: Mm. So, talk to me about this, Fiona. I mean, you've been around the hockey scene in Ireland and internationally for for quite some time now. Put in context, this is just in terms of the achievement here in uh, an Irish team, an amateur team reaching a World Cup final.
1: You can't, you you can't put anything on this. This is; these are girls. Two of the girls are playing in Europe. Some of them are taking time off from you know, professional positions. Some of them are students because that's the easier way for them to do their training. We don't have any professional contract uh, hockey players in Ireland. And it's really, really something that Sporting Ireland has to look at. And there should be contracts going out to some of these girls so that they can they, you know, they can compete on a level playing field. Uh, England had 19 million put into their programme. Uh, and we beat them. We topped the pool.
0: Mm. I mean, so much... Mean, it's just, it, so much, as I say, Fiona, has been made about the, the grants and the funding allocation and whatnot. But Graham Shaw, the, the, the coach, speaking after the semi-final, saying that this is a changing moment in everyone who's involved in their lives. I mean, do you feel that that is the case?
1: Yes, absolutely. These girls will be iconic. They will, you know, they'll play hockey. Some of them, Alicia McFerrin, you know, she is superb. She will be, she will be, she will get a contract with one of the top European, European teams. And, you know, that's a loss, Richard, to Irish hockey because we have an awful lot of aspiring young players coming through that want on a Saturday to go to see these, these players playing um, for Irish clubs. Okay, And it's something that we really need to address. And, and it's the same with the men. A lot of the men players this year have moved off to, to European clubs because they've been offered professional contracts.
0: Talk to us a little bit about the, the opponents today, the Netherlands. I mean, the Dutch have a, have a great tradition of hockey, I understand, since I started following this last Thursday. Um, but just tell us about the scale of the challenge that faces Ireland today.
1: The, the scale is huge. Yeah. It's absolutely huge. I mean, the, the, the Dutch lost, lost the Olympic final for years. The Dutch you know, haven't been outside the top three or four in the world. And, I mean, we're going back 30, 40 years. They are an extremely accomplished, well-drilled team. But Ireland have defended so well at this stage that if we can continue to do that, you know, anything is possible. And if if you get through the four quarters and you were to put money on a penalty shootout, um, it's something that Ireland have experienced and the girls aren't going to be concerned about it.
0: All right, well, best of luck to them, of course, and Fiona, enjoy the day. It has been an incredible run. Hopefully there's one more upset in this team, one more upset on the cards. Fiona Marshall there in London, a former Irish international with almost a 100 caps to her name, and there's plenty of coverage of this uh, throughout the papers of, of, of today. Uh, I am joined by our panellists, Lise Hands, political columnist with The Times, Ireland Edition, and Sinead Ryan, consumer columnist with Independent News and Media. Guys, of all the coverage on this today... I mean it, it, there is a huge amount of national giddiness I think is, is it's fair to say Sinead We're, we're What's both today? former hockey girls Oh you're two hockeyers yeah. Yeah. Well more more
2: enforced by the nuns rather at yeah. least, least played at championship level I believe But so
0: that, uh, there is something was, in that Sinead isn't it that there, there are so many schools across the country and yeah. so many of us played hockey yeah. at school level yeah. and then you know whatever happens after that for this to, to exactly. reach a, just an international scale and be the World Cup final Yeah.
2: Now I have to say despite all that I'm still a bit hazy on the rules as everybody Else, and uh, you know, people have only been following it in the last couple of days. Yeah. I know? actually, I was in a pub
0: on, we're all on Thursday now. evening. And there was, yeah, there was <laughs> this is exactly my point. I was in a pub on Thursday evening, and um basically, they were, pl- we were playing back the highlights on the news. And some fella, some lad with the with the pint was there trying to explain. I <laughs> know ah, she took too long there on that penalty. <laughs> it went wrong the wrong way. It's like,
3: yeah. have you ever watched talking before? <laughs> it's it's <laughs> the classic thing, but I suppose you know. I'd probably draw iron my head for this, but there's probably not an Irish woman, you know, around at the moment that isn't taking us. Has a small glow of satisfaction that the first Irish team to make it to a World Cup mm. final, and it's the women. What did it? Mm. Uh, and I you know, I mean, it, it is kind of great. And I, I, watching them all and the sheer joy of them yesterday when when uh, when they prevailed and. There were lots of shots of, you know, little girls in their houses and so on online, you know, jumping mm. up and down. And, you know, they are, I know a lot was made of this, but they are role models, you know. And I mean, we always see pictures of little fella, little wee fellas with, you know, hurls and slithers, yeah. you know, who, uh, you know, worship some one of their inter-county players. But, you know, it's now that, you know, little girls, particularly play hockey, have someone that they can genuinely relate to. And it was interesting because, you know, the Taoiseach uh, was fairly fast up on social media, of course, you know, uh, offering his congratulations and got instantly monstered by everybody Mm. who suggested that perhaps they might see it as hard to organise for for the the girls to be paid back the £550 euro levy that they have to pay in order to play at this level. And I think... Maybe also look at sort of Sport Ireland might also start getting a tap on the shoulder. Um, I think the entire grant for the entire game of sport of hockey last year was 260,000 yeah. out of a 10.8 million, you know, overall grant age. So, you know, we might find that the coffers are open there as well. But yeah. it's, you know what? It's just
0: great. Do you know what? It is just brilliant. I mean, <laughs> yeah. we're a bit hard on ourselves, Sinead Ryan, in this country for whenever. We have some unexpected success, whether it's, you know, rowing or if it was cricket a couple of years ago as well. These, yeah. these When these sort of international successes happen, you always hear people giving out about bandwagoners. But I think it's good in a way, isn't it, that we are the sort of country that does throw our arms around and gets behind a team oh, when they go listen, unexpectedly far. Uh, there's nothing far. like
2: a green jersey in any corner of the world <laughs> to, to kind of pull us all together. And, uh, you know, like that, we're all A, experts now, and B, you know, we always knew it was going to happen. <laughs> you know, We were sure from the outset, ah. even though most <laughs> of us didn't even know the Hockey World Cup was on, we were absolutely certain we were going to make it to the final. Yeah. Why wouldn't we? I mean, there is that sense of, you know, we, we kind of can pretty much do anything anything with, with a, you know a little bit of luck a dash of kind of balls and just get on with it and there, there's nobody in Ireland who thinks but sure why wouldn't we be there like, you know, it's not so much a sense of entitlement as as a kind of an idea of we're, we're constantly the underdog so we might as well win stuff you know yeah. it is great it more just to
3: see the way that yeah. sport is enjoying a moment I mean both you know domestic sports as in particularly the hurling has been golden of course this summer but you know if you look at the success of the Leinster rugby team particularly the Irish the Ireland rugby team, you know, you look at the Ireland cricket team, some of the young girls, particularly who've been, who've been, you know, scooping all before them on the track, you know, yeah. over the last few months, you know, yeah. and then of course you have your golfers, you know, we'll draw a discreet veil over the football team, at the soccer team at the moment, yeah, but I'm sure the they'll, yeah, but they'll, 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 they'll have their day again and also in the, the sun.
2: there is, there is kind of a wider conversation here uh, for girls, particularly, because it is known that really once they hit mid-teens, the fall off of girls playing sport is absolutely um, huge uh, and it's really, really hard to keep them in sport mm. playing competitively. The boys m- much easier, but the girls absolutely uh, terrible. So it, it is for a school sport like hockey, which has played all over the place. You know, what a great Philip this would be um, to to really take the opportunity now and incorporate that into into proper sports. Mm. As Leith said, the funding is risible uh, towards it. And yet, um Shane Ross, the, the, uh, sports minister who, um, get, gets pretty much landed on for, for everything he does, um, opened up hockey pitches in a private school, uh, last year, lauded them, and then he got completely hammered. He for did get lambasted for yeah, that, right? Yeah. We should be, <laughs> we should be doing all kinds of other, and here we are, but you know, the hockey, so he won't get any thanks for that. But, um, you know, that this is an opportunity. For um, us to address that issue with why girls in sport really um, they they can achieve, and, it and it it's also fun, fun, yeah. yeah, and, 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 yeah. and, what and other funding
3: been put into yes. women's yeah. sports. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we've seen recently, you know, Mayo women's football. We've seen um, you the know Irish the international Irish international, international women's, team, women's yeah. league team. You know, who have had to resort to going public over, you know, over beefs they've had. Over sharing
2: tracksuits. Sharing tracksuits is just, you know, insane or having to go to what, the you know, into toilets the to
3: change. What is the answer to this?
0: I mean, is it about, you know, I mean, Sinead, you made a great point about how in secondary school, guys are encouraged to keep on with the sport. And yet there's a huge drop off there for, for young girls as well. I mean, how do we go about addressing that? Is about that about you know, media coverage as well, because that's fairly risible as well in terms of women's sport. And, you know, I mean, RT have gotten on to this now when they saw that the appetite was there for us to follow that. But before that, there was only like one national paper went out to have a look at the Hockey World Cup. So, I mean, what is it about? It's a combination of things, I suppose, is it? I
3: think it is a combination of things. You know, I think particularly with a lot of boys, sport is also almost a social network as well that I don't think that that aspect of it is, is tapped into enough by yeah. by girls that, you know, it is actually, it's more than just, you know, being fit or being competitive. It is actually providing you with a support network and a social network and possibly a network, a networking network, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that aspect of it is pushed enough. And I think as well, there is still, God help us, but that slight, I think, um Bias against being women being or girls being too competitive and it's fine while you're in school you know whatever, but you've got to go on you know slow off such such childish things and move on to other other things, so you're divorcing the idea of of competitiveness and sport f- you know from the rest of your life yeah. You know, is I think is something that it's a it's a it's a bad disconnect. Um, so you know, I think it's a sort of an overall package. They need to be well funded. Women need to be encouraged to go into it, for health reasons and for reasons of just you know, just have wider you know social circle. And you know, but it does start at government level. I mean, it does start with promoting you know um, sports within schools, encouraging yeah, youth organisations, and then providing the funding for them.
2: And mm. having women on sporting boards, which was so- supposed to have happened by now and every uh, single sporting organisation was supposed to have a proper gender balance uh, on their boards that that hasn't happened hasn't for an a yet awful all. lot of them uh, and it's very hard when women, the women's game is seen as the secondary as the lesser as the something to be tolerated rather than creating heroes and which that's, is what yeah. we manage to do with our men's teams yeah. uh, we don't create enough heroes and we you know it relies on on solo runners to do it and I mean literally as in Sonia O'Sullivan and people like that to kind of that's just it, the be the individual heroes, heroes yeah, and just do it yeah, in spite yeah. of of yes, the sport in spite of Rod, then because
0: of. We yeah. mentioned Shane Ross, there, guys. We'll move on. I mean, if you the match does tip off at four thirty uh, this afternoon, <laughs> I want to, I want to be in a
3: pub, you know, explaining the offside rule to yeah. some guy. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: I'll take on the bandwagon. as We've only got on since Friday or Saturday, as opposed to since Thursday. Um, but yes, we're, we mentioned Shane Ross there because of the the hockey pitches thing. But his name is carried in all the papers again. There, most notably on the front cover of the Sunday Independent. Ross well, turns up in a by
2: himself. By in himself. The Sunday Independent
0: has, yeah, he's written again. He's, <laughs> he's, back. We missed he's back with his usual aplomb in, in sort of defending the Granny Grant. I mean, a lot of coverage on it today. Uh, Sunday Independent, page one, of course say there, Ross turns on Fine Gael as Granny Grant tension escalates. Uh, on the back page, his own article, Conservative Ireland would rather grandparents remain unsung. Uh, Brendan O'Connor, O'Connor with a, a think piece as well there. 33,000 euro cheers for the Granny Grant, just saying, he did the sums on it and said that you know what, if, if everybody added up exactly what they could get, we'd get 33,000. Euro. Sunday Times as well. Brenda Power a grand a year to babysit the kids. It's silly season once again. Uh, I want to get both of your thoughts on this, but but Lee's hand in terms of putting this into you know the specter of, of of silly season and mm-hmm. the great silly season proposals we've seen over the years. This one has attracted more attention than any I can remember. Anyway,
3: well, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head there. You know, anything anything that. You know rolls into the the roaring void of the silly season when you know politics essentially grinds to a halt is always mm. gratefully seized upon by political journalists and this is no exception and you know and shane, added to shane Shane Ross's unique genius for creating controversy every time he opens his gob, so you know you have a perfect storm of uh, front page headlines there. I think that you know um it was put together because I think. Politicians are very cognizant of the power of the grey vote and the, you know, we've, we've seen in the past how once mobilized, they're a formidable force. So if, uh, a budget, a pre-election budget is looming, they are, they, you mm. know, there are going to be strenuous moves from all parties to try and make sure they're on board and given a few goodies. Hence, we see Willie D. entering the fray as well. Another man who's cat never passes a microphone <laughs> without saying something into it, interesting into it. Um, you know, I, I think it is a bit of a furore. I think the, the, the mathematics underpinning it, which, uh, Sinead will be far better at than I am, you know, just make, sh- see that it just it just doesn't add up. Now, I also don't think it's going to necessarily tip us into an election any earlier. I think that might be a bit of wishful thinking in part of some political correspondence mm. that you know this will have such a destabilizing effect that the gov you know the budget won't, there won't be, able be a to budget put together passed, yeah. you know I think it'll be an idea that will you know do the rounds uh, and then will sort of quietly disappear uh, off the spectrum um because you know childcare is such an absolute I mean it is a vastly, um, controversial area. I mean, there's, you know, with all kinds of funding problems. And I think even the vast amount of grandparents would agree that this ne- is necessarily the right way to mm. go about, fi- you know, fixing it.
0: Sinead, what, what's your take on the conversation that's been taking place on this over the week? Cause I mean, if you look at it, it does seem to be, you know, incentivizing the last resort for childcare as opposed to pumping money into to where yeah, it needs to no, go.
2: It is it, complete. Um, um, Catalogy. It wasn't costed. It wasn't thought through. It was just a, a silly flag, really, just being waved. I mean, from Shane Ross's point of view, he hasn't got his Garda station yet. His judicial appointments bill hasn't gone through yet. I mean, he he can manage his own department. And, and, you know, never mind everybody else's. So, um, it, it it is it is crazy and. And and the point is that when it comes to childcare, there are at least five other steps you could be taking before you ever get to paying grandparents Mm. to do a job that actually, for the most part, they don't want payment for. Because the minute you introduce that payment, first of all, I wonder, did he ask any grandparents? Because they will say, A, you know, I like mine to my kids, my grandkids. I like seeing them and I like sending them home. Now, if suddenly you pop up a financial incentive, you get adult sons and daughters going, Mum, listen, this is a fantastic thing. And I mean, take them for 40 hours a week. Uh, if you actually costed that out and, and they were to mind their grandkids full time, the pay for that is 48 cent an hour. Now, mm. that is so below minimum wage <laughs> as to be positively <laughs> insulting. Yeah. You know, and, and if you're if you're adult children, are already imposing on you to mind kids that they should have made arrangements for elsewhere. You know, they are saving a massive amount on creche fees. There's nothing stopping them bunging their parents a weekend away or a few bob or whatever they want at the moment. There are so many areas that that you could be tackling. We haven't ever tackled child allowance. We haven't ever tackled uh, tax relief on creche. We haven't ever tackled the the, um, whole area of state um, provision for childcare. All of these things come head and shoulders above a granny grant as as issues that we should be
0: talking about. okay well i'm sure we will be talking about it again next week lee's hand and sinéad Reiner staying with us here on news talks off the record we'll also be joined after the break by susan mitchell on on the record i should say uh, susan mitchell is uh, going to be joining us on the line in just a few moments time she's a very interesting breaking story on the front page of today's sunday business post on cervical check uh, we'll speak with her just next on the record. On, On News Talk. Welcome back to On The Record, Richard Chambers in for Kieran this Sunday morning and speaking of going for gold, as we mentioned Ireland's hockey team playing in a World Cup final today, Uh, but not just the hockey uh, stars in action today also rowers, uh, the O'Donovan Brothers are back in a final of the European Championships and that is starting very very shortly so we'll let you know how they get on as well Uh, Our panellists are still with me in studio, Lise Hand, political columnist with the Times Ireland edition and Sinead Ryan, consumer columnist with Independent News and Media, but we're also joined now on the line by susan mitchell health editor of the sunday business post because once again susan has a very very interesting story uh, on the cover of the sunday business post breast check screening program under threat it starts at uh, specter of legal action mounts while doctors threaten to resign from service susan good morning to you and thank you for joining us morning. Uh, can you just tell us about this i mean the, the breast check has been up until now has been you know separate of course uh, to the cervical check story but it's been brought into it now by solicitors
4: exactly so breast check screens about 145,000 women per year and a bit like uh, the cervical screening program it is for asymptomatic women so women who don't have any symptoms so it's a screening not a diagnostic program But doctors there are threatening to resign from the service and it just appears that there is contagion from cervical check. And what's happening is that they're just saying that the the environment has become increasingly toxic. Uh, So patients who come in or, or women who come in for their screening test are mistrustful um, the environment is much more hostile and um, I've heard of some cases where, where staff have been you know, verbally abused um, so this is one aspect of it and then the other then is a surge in legal threats mm. so Breast Check has been in existence for about 18 years and over the, the entire those 18 years it's received about a handful of legal letters and over the past couple of months it has received 50 so you can see where this is going we have solicitors now you know advertising or putting out um blogs on their websites um, and recommending or encouraging women who might have been screened and then had what's called an interval cancer, which is a cancer that appears in between screening, um, to come forward and talk to them, etc. So there's very, very serious fears from senior management in breast check that this is going to go the way cervical check has gone.
0: How much misinformation has led to this, Susan? I mean, you've had you know media commentary on this. You've had politicians of all shapes and sizes have been have been having their s- their say on this but whose contributions really have been the most damaging here because it has been misinformation which has led to this situation
4: i think there's been a lot of misinformation out there for certain um i think the media coverage of this whole and, and i'm talking about cervical check and um, not not breast check but the media coverage of cervical check has been really poor we really only have heard uh, a single narrative And that narrative has been from medical negligence solicitors, by and large. I I can't remember when I last heard, or or if I even, I don't think I did hear, a pathologist interviewed about screening, um, about cervical screening. I've rarely heard a doctor on the airwaves. So I think that we have, the the politicians, as as you rightly say, many of them have not contributed in in a positive way to the debate. There's huge misunderstanding out there, I think, still. Even, you know, up, up until this week, I heard... uh, someone on radio calling a cervical screening a diagnostic test or part of the diagnostic process which it is not. And mm. um, we've also had, you know, a lot of misunderstanding around the, around the 221 cases. So these are the 221 women that we know of who had their um, cervical smear tests, um, either misreported or, or they were what's called a false negative, you know, uh, victims of a false negative result. And the media coverage has, has effectively already, you know, implying that all of these cases were resulted from negligence. We actually do not know that yet. Mm. That is why we have inquiries. That is why we have the Royal College of Gynecology doing a review and examining all of these individual tests. And look, it may be the case, as I said in the article today, that there is a problem, an underlying problem, with the quality of our laboratories but we don't know don't know that uh, definitively just yet
0: mm. what do you make about simon harris's contributions on this obviously himself and the Taoiseach Leo Radker have been you know they've been under scrutiny over the past week in particular about this Leo Radker over his comments to the 6-1 back in back in may about you know how the state would cover everything here in this situation but simon harris offering a free repeat screening that must be causing a huge amount of problems for gps as well
4: it is. And, you know, the the logic of it, I, I fail to understand the logic of it because a screening test was offered to an, an additional smear test, free smear test was offered to any woman who wanted one. Now, if there was an underlying problem with our laboratories, why were we sending these additional screening tests back to the same laboratories? So the move actually made no sense whatsoever. But women, and I think it also stirred up a lot of panic from women, um, you know, who, who, who thought, my goodness, there must be something seriously wrong here if if the Minister for Health is offering us all an additional test, but, you know, doctors have now received, there's been an additional 50,000 tests or screening tests done on the back of this offer. Um, And now what we're seeing is labs sending the smear tests back to GPs saying they could not process them on time, Um, where once they reported within four weeks, they're now saying it might take... 12 weeks for these results to come back. So it's caused a real bottleneck in the system. And I think the government, you know, have obviously made a lot of promises that they couldn't deliver. You know, they, um, for example, they said that the review of all of these smear tests would be done by the end of May. That review hasn't even started yet. Mm. Um, There was a promise from that, that you point out there from the Taoiseach, that no woman would have to go to court, that the state would come in and settle and then pursue the labs, which seemed, even at the time, seemed like a very um offer to make because we did not know, we still don't know where or whether there was negligence and, and in how many cases there might have been negligence involved. And so, look, and I have some sympathy for the government because many of these women and their families, you know, these are individual tragedies, they're extremely sick, and I think the government you know, obviously wants to, to do the right thing, wants to be compassionate, but I think they've responded in a very knee-jerk fashion. Mm.
0: You, you mentioned there that, you know, the review into this has been slow to get going there. Uh, if you read in the Mail on Sunday there today, Keno Carl, who's actually, of course, a solicitor for Vicky Phelan, he's described the Scally Inquiry as a sham. A number of these reviews are, are taking place, some of them slow to get going. What is the situation with, with a number of them, Susan?
4: Well, the Scally inquiry, um, and I haven't read that piece yet, so I haven't read what he he said in the mail, Um, but the Scally inquiry is due to report back at the end of August. Um, He was delayed, and earlier he was quite critical of the HSE for its failure and the Department of Health for their failure to provide him with information in the way that he wanted and as quickly as as he wanted. So that has been delayed by a little bit. Um, I haven't heard any of the women or families affected giving out about Dr. Gabriels Scally. In fact, any, any of those who I've spoken to who are caught up in this have, have spoken very positively about Dr. Scaly. The other review, the, the review of the individual slides, which is being done by the Royal College of Gynecology, that's now going to take about six months. Um, so it's unlikely that we're going to see the results of that until early next year, I I think, or or so I hear. But in the meantime, the government has asked um, Justice Meenan to examine a way or, or to see if he can find a way that might provide some kind of a resolution and that would avoid women having to go to court. So these are women who believe that their slides were negligently misread by the laboratories. So Justice Meenan has been tasked with coming back with some kind of an interim solution. And the Taoiseach has also said that we will have a public inquiry into what has happened.
0: All right. My thanks to Susan Mitchell. Thank you very much indeed, Susan, for joining us on the line, health editor of the Sunday Business Post. Uh, I am still joined in studio by Lee's Hand and Sinead Ryan. Guys, it it does appear that this story is not going anywhere soon. But one of the main points, Sinead, that, that Susan was making was that the narrative around this and the fact that people, you know, the, the amount of misinformation has been spread about this, it does expose how little the general public and how little it is understood actually about the screening programme as a, for a start.
2: Yeah, and I mean, her piece there, and Susan is, is really brilliant at this and across it, but I, I suspect she's one of the few people who actually understands what I didn't understand, which is that a screening test is not diagnostic. Mm. I've been faithfully going along for my smears every three years, been to- got a letter a few weeks later saying you're grand and believed a, I definitely, definitely did not have cancer. And B, there was absolutely nothing abnormal showing up at all. Now, so that turns out not to be true, actually, because they don't know. So this is a mass screening programme. I was don't ever recall being told by anyone. Now, listen, this doesn't mean you don't have cancer. This doesn't mean it. this is just a kind of a, a, a pre-test about a test, which is, seems to be all it is. I was one of those uh, women. I had just had mine when the week this whole thing blew up. And I got very concerned, as did every other woman in the country. I went back down to my GP and I said, look, where have my tests gone? Who is doing it? And she she said, it's the Quest Laboratory in the US, which is one of the three screening uh, ones at the centre of this. And this is the one where a lot of these cases have come from. So I said, I'm not a bit happy with that. Simon Harris has promised us another test. Can I have it, please?
0: Mm.
2: And they said, well, you can, but it has to go back to Quest. We don't. Send, and I said, well, I want you to go to the coom. And oh, no, we can't do that. You have to pay for that. OK. So where does that leave women? Yeah. So this knee jerk reaction, Leo promising everybody would be settled out of court. Harris promising go down and get another one. You'll be grand. And Susan saying it's now going to take three months before I can get that back. And I can't send it to the lab I want. If the whole thing has been mishandled, badly handled, you know, I wouldn't blame women now. And I may well be one of them who says, do you know what? What's the point of mm. going for the screening now? Well, yeah, I
0: mean, Lise, the, the point th- that, I mean, the government in, in Howard has handled this from, especially from what, you know, Susan reporting today and throughout this, it, it essentially did throw the screening programme under the bus in a way, a very vital programme.
3: Which is, and it is a really vital programme. I mean, you know, uh, going for smear tests is not a pleasant experience. And yet... You know, since this program was started, there, you know, there's been something like a seventy percent, you know, take up Mm. uh, of this, which has saved, you know, up to, you know, you know, many lives every year. So, you know, it, it, you know, on one level, it does, it does actually identify problems. But absolutely, as Sinead says, you know, I think that I, almost every woman has gone through, you know, the the process in blissful ignorance that this wasn't a definitive test. But it is to be devoutly hoped that it won't put women off because it does, you know, going for smear's will increase your chances of, of having yeah. a problem identified, rather than bearing your ha- your head in sand and saying, well, look, we're not going to go for this at all. And, you know, from the get go, this has been handled just really badly by everybody concerned by the HSE by the government by cervical check by the cancer prog- uh, national cancer program i mean everybody there's just been obfuscation confusion the only person that really I mean almost single handedly has br- has dragged this into the light and put a shape on it is Vicky Phelan. Mm. and you know this I mean since she you know appeared on the steps of the High Court on the twenty fifth of April this year you know this thing has just has just spiraled, and you know it is true really her that we have um any kind of clarity about what is going on about you know mm. scoping inquiry being done this new inquiry being put in place um the government's initiative to bring f- to introduce the the, the the I suppose the HPV uh, test, which mm. is much more definitive right. and actually is sort of cutting edge of of this, and also you know the the health minister is going to fast track the uh, patient safety bill. He's promised okay. that it will go through before Christmas. But I mean, without you know Vicky Phelan, we would we wouldn't even know what we know.
2: It's all reactive, yeah. though. Do you know Vicky Phelan seems to be the only person throughout all this. And remember, this is somebody already very very ill. Who isn't getting paid to do this? Who's this isn't her job, her responsibility. This isn't she, she should not be a public figure. And, and yet here she is leading the way on this. And it shouldn't be like that. There are thousands of people whose job it is paid for by the taxpayer to sort all this mess out and, and to not have, you know, this cloud of, of concern and suspicion around it. And, and it just is disgraceful. There's actually no excuse for it. Okay.
0: Well, just to update you all on the rowing, the O'Donovan brothers have finished in second place in the final, so a silver medal for the Irish in the lightweight men's double skulls. Coming in behind the Norwegian pair, the fact that they're disappointed with silver uh, says a lot about the standards that they have set in their own sport. Lee's Hand and Sinead Ryan are staying with us here on News Talks on the Record. We're going to be talking about a race of a very, very different kind, a wacky race of sorts for the (laughs) Aorus 2018. More to come in just a moment.
2: On the Record.
0: On News Talk. Welcome back to On the Record here on News Talk. Richard Chambers sitting in this morning. Lee's hand and Sinead Ryan are still with us, going through some of the best stories from today's papers. We'll get to the presidential race in just a moment, but first, two quick stories that caught your right. eye, uh, Sinead, We'll come to you on PTSB yeah. in just a moment, but first and foremost, Lee's just on the front page uh, of the Sunday Times once again, the INM story.
3: Yes, well, I mean this is part of the ongoing saga um that has erupted um really involving various players um but I suppose at the center of it would be um Leslie Buckley who was uh, who was the chair the uh, former chairman of INM uh, Independent News and Media and Robert Pitt who was uh, former chief executive. Um this all arose really uh, all this goes back to, uh, protected disclosures made by, made by Robert Pitt, um, at the end of, um, 2016. And, um, it, you know, that's now ended up in the High Court and there's various, various strands uh, attached to this. But I, you know, I, th- th- you know, there's more claims and allegations mm. made, uh, in the court papers that have been lodged as part of this. But, you know, I think on a wider level, it, just shows that you know this is an incredibly bitter dispute and you know it has to have spillover effects on you know on the staff on the staff morale on you know just the, on the paper itself it's obviously just getting more and more bitter um and you know it's sort of leading up to the 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 appointment of high court inspectors into the organization to uh, investigate various these claims you know uh, it's um It's not good to see, you know, a, you know, a a newspaper group like this been sort of riven apart by this, this row. And, you know, I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. This is, you know, this is the trouble. Um, and I just, you know, don't like to see it inflict damage on a paper I used to work for once.
0: Yeah, it's worthwhile reading that story anyway, on the front page of the Sunday Times. Bitter as well is another word, Sinead Ryan, that you can use to describe <laughs> the situation uh, with regard to PS- PTSB uh, and the mortgage sell-off there. A lot of the paper's covering it today, and not least the Sunday Independent. PTSB blasted uh, for cynical letters. Sinead, what, what do you make of all of this? Uh,
2: look, Permanent TSB is pretty much the basket case of these non-performing loans, and it has been for the last decade, pretty much. Um, there is an EU, an ECB directive now that the maximum amount of non-performing mortgages you can have in your books is about 5%, Okay, which is about average mm. across Europe, and that's really shouldn't be more than that. There'll always be people who don't pay their mortgages or between one thing and another. In other countries, they get on with it, they hoover up all those loans, flog them off or repossess the houses. We took a curiously different approach to this many, many moons ago for political reasons where we said, no, we are going to protect all the banks. That's the first thing we're going to do. Um, We're going to protect all these people uh, and we are going to hope that it all goes away. So they brought in laws um, which uh, prevented the repossession of a lot of these properties, which is the normal course of events for banks to do. No, there's nothing wrong with that; that's fine. You can do that. So you can say we're going to keep all these people in their houses, and we'll, it's okay that they don't pay their loan, they don't pay their mortgages back. But there was no follow on from that. It wasn't thought through. Well, what happens next? And what happens next is that the people still don't pay their mortgages. And they're still living in these houses free. Um, and in a lot of cases, they can't pay their mortgages. In some cases, they are choosing not to pay the mortgages and under the whole of stuff. Uh, until finally, uh, Europe stepped in and said, you can't keep doing this. lads. This is absolutely ridiculous. You mm. need to flog them off uh, if you're ever hoping to sell these banks off again. And remember, these are state banks now. These are nationalized institutions. Uh, so they have had to start flogging the loans. PTSB is just the latest in a long line. And it's another project loss. They're calling it ten and a half thousand mortgages. Uh, most of them are owner-occupier uh, and they are term, terming them all n- what they call non-performing loans. The average arrears period is three and a half years. Now, think about that. Somebody has not paid their mortgage for an average, some, some of them any more than that, three and a half years. Now, either they can't, which is fair enough, or they won't. Either way, they shouldn't be in that house and they certainly shouldn't be in it for free. So there's a whole raft of measures. Yes, they can take a mortgage rent scheme. Die to death. Should have been done differently. The bureaucracy around it was absolutely extraordinarily bad you know, very poorly thought out. Um, And one way is to is to flog these loans to so-called vulture funds. They're the guys rocking up with the cash, by the way. Mm. So it's not like there are, you know, state funds available to buy these houses or all kinds of other things. There aren't. These are the people who have the money. In this case, Lone Star start mortgages, 1.3 billion quid. The PTSB get them off their books. Uh, They reduce their currently 16% of their non-performing loan book. That's absolutely ridiculous amount. And that is unsustainable. Um, so, you know, should they have done it? Yes, absolutely they should. Should they have done it five years ago? Definitely, mm. you know. Now, you have then a wider argument about what do you do with all these people, okay? And that's completely legitimate. So let's talk about that and let's try and find a way. These people don't automatically, by the way, uh, these mortgage holders appear back, you know, on the homeless lists or in hostels or anything like that. It's not that simple. For 90% of cases they get to stay in their own home. And you you create the circumstances that allow that to happen. That doesn't involve um, uh, the taxpayer forking out everything.
0: Okay, well, it is a discussion which
2: it's complex, but it's not impossible. It was left far too late, and PTSB were the worst offenders at leaving it too late to deal with this.
0: I think we can all see that. Yeah, it's clear as day at this point. Anyway, moving on, though, to the presidential race, because there's some terrific stuff written about this today. I think everybody's eye was caught by the interview with Gavin Duffy uh, by Hugh O'Connell, the political correspondent of the Sunday Business Post. I mean, I mixed up my on the record and off the record earlier on, but he certainly (laughs) did uh, in the course of this interview. So that's the front page story on the Business Post. Um, Also inside there, Tom Lyons has a story on Sean Gallagher writing again to ministers, seen as a further indication that he is Considering entering uh, the presidential race in the Sunday Times, momentum grows for O'Quive presidential tilt. He's been angling behind the scenes, it seems, for a, a go at the Oireachtas as well. Uh, Neve Horan O'Keeffe says release medical records in race for presidency, and also the front page story in Mail on, on the Mail on Sunday. I want all my three hundred and twenty-five thousand euro Auris pay, says Gavin Duffy. I'll come to you first on this. Yeah. I mean, you, you were down in Waterford for yes. where a number of the candidates were, were looking for the, for the nomination for the presidency uh, from Waterford City and County Council. What do you make of, of the state of this so far? Because, I mean, we have many more months of this to go. Oh, and yet it's already Richard, becoming tiresome. Richard,
3: <laughs> I'm having this sort of deja vu that I, uh, from uh, the last con- uh, contest, which I covered seven years ago, which was Probably a few of the most bonkers months I've Mm. ever spent covering anything in this country. Um, yes, I was down in, um, I was down in in Waterford at the, when three candidates, independent candidates, Central Joan Freeman, Gavin Duffy, and, uh, a, Gentleman from the West of Ireland, Patrick Feeney, uh, addressed the council because in order to get a nomination, you have to get the, uh, the you have to get a nomination from four local, local councillors or uh, local councils or twenty Ro- Rocklist members, and this was the, the opening pitch for these uh, these trio. And it was quite interesting because, uh, Gavin Duffy was grilled on the various connections. He was asked about, you know, Sean Fitzpatrick and he, the, he explained he'd had a meeting with him once, the, with the former Anglo beleaguered boss as he was at the time, uh, just about how to handle media. And I notice in this interview, he gets, um, Hugh O'Connell in the Sunday Business Post gives him the third degree about work that he did with Enzo O'Brien mm. Um, and he was asked quite closely about, you know, his, his finances and financial background. Uh, Joan Freeman was, Quiz quite closely on her connection, her family connections to the Iona Institute and um, her, her sister is Theresa Lowe and uh, her niece is Maria Steen, the Iona Institute and about the Eighth Amendment. And, you know, it's interesting because I have a funny feeling that this is going to be the Eighth Amendment presidential campaign. Really? I really do, Yes, because I think we have, a, you know, it's unfinished business. There's still a legislation to go through. Now, while this is the business of the Oireachtas, I suppose at the end of the day, it is the president's right to sign it into law. And... I think that all the candidates, this is going to come up with every single candidate and I think it will be Issue. Uh, Eamon O'Quive is uh, well. We don't know whether he's, he's. There are people acting on his behalf uh, while he is um, keeping his own counsel. Um, but of course, he would have been um, part of the the anti-repeal movement as well. And the people rallying around him would there be a few familiar names that would have been associated with the uh, the anti-repeal campaign? So I th- I have a funny feeling this might shape up to to be a, a massive issue during this. I think we could be in for a bonkers ride for the next few months, I really do, because... Um I think that possibly more candidates might come out of the come out of the woodwork. Um We're going to we are going to have a race because Sinn Féin has yeah, said they're going to course. run somebody. So there is going to be a, a ballot paper with at least two names on it. Now, whether the councils will find in their hearts to actually nominate anybody else, or they'll just take a look at whatever comes in front of them and say, Do you know what, I'm going to stick with Michael D. or I'm going to go with, with Sinn Féin. So it may just be two horse race, or some may make it onto the ballot. But it is going to be bruising. I mean, I noticed Mary McCallan in the piece in the Sunday Independent today. She was, she was expressing her relief that she, you know, that that she, that she, well is, she made the right decision. It is blood <laughs> no sport, hand- yeah. She actually says it is just so hard because you're. It is a personality contest. Mm. You know, you are basically. You know, it is. Um, you know, you need to know your way around the constitution. But I mean, you ain't. You know, you're not going to be out there fixing fixing cervical check and yeah. the homeless crisis. You she know, she says
0: actually, yeah, it's a terrifying contest. Yeah. And you have to ask yourself what you're willing to inflict on your own family. Yeah. Uh, Sinead Ryan, I mean, G- Gavin Duffy is, is kind of the star attraction, I think, in the Sunday papers today from it. I mean, as a Meath woman yourself, I mean, is there a huge clamour so, in the royal it? for Gavin Duffy for president at this um, stage?
2: Well, there's, there's a clamour of apathy, if, if that's not mixing <laughs> uh, metaphors. Um, the, one of the papers did a kind of a quick ring around uh, to find out how many people actually on Meath County Council, which is where Gavin Duffy uh, lives, they, got, they found three out of 28 councillors mm. who were prepared to say enough nice things about him that might translate into a, a vote. So listen, he, he'd really want to be looking elsewhere. Um, this is, yes, no, it is all very depressing. I was asking Lise earlier because, um, I'm kind of hoping it'll all be over sooner rather than later, but she tells me, no, that they, they have ages to go before they actually have to, um, have to get their nominations. You know, it's a pity like it's not by next Friday. <laughs> Sorry about that to me. Set up no a deadline get yeah. uh, and get it done. And get it done. I don't know how many candidates were up to now. It seems to be about eighteen or, or thereabouts. I think anybody's seems to be putting their tuppence halfpenny in. I'd say Miriam Callan is only delighted she has stayed well away from it uh, 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 right up to now and she clearly made the right decision there. Um, so the whole thing look it is a blood sport. For those of us that are kind of election nerds, it'll be it'll be a popcorn uh, moment as it was seven years ago, Uh, it's good old crack. Uh, but really, none of the candidates are covering themselves in glory at the moment, except Michael D. Higgins, who <laughs> issued a statement yesterday, um, when the hockey team, the girls hockey team got through to the, the final today. And he and it started out as president of Ireland. I want to congratulate blah, de blah, And you kind of think every single statement now that comes out about anything will start. Oh with yeah. Those I mean, words.
3: the Wiley <laughs> <old> campaigner suddenly <laughs> materialized uh, on the, uh, on, on, uh, Sport last mm-hmm. weekend to go forth at length about the well, fact he was from. Um, you know Claire Limerick, yeah. uh, Galway, and <laughs> <you're names>. <laughs> yourself, I mean yeah. a touch to touch the Charlie Hawley's about it. You know, yeah. but uh, you know, and he gave this sort of very gracious interview about you know warm and fuzzy interview. So, you know, I think there is an interesting piece by Kevin Doyle in Sunday Independent today where he said, "Are all these people in this just in case Michael D blows up?" Yeah, and I think it is yeah. their best their best bet of making Seems and getting to be any their only hope. and all. it
2: might be the case now that they have to rock up in these debates, these television debates, which are going to end up having, and say why Michael D has not been doing a good good enough job for the last seven years and they are going to be hard pressed among I, the electorate to find out uh, to, 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 to get that over the
0: line. Yeah and you do hear that and it comes across in all the coverage and you would have heard it as well in, in Waterford as well Lise mm. you have to ask yourself how many of these people know what the office of the president actually does well, or why they want to be president or why in fact they'd be any good at it.
3: Well, you see, this is, this is it. They, they have to try and find a pitch, uh, you know, because Michael D does tick an awful lot of boxes. I mean, he's a feminist, you know, he's a male, but he is a feminist. He is, you know, a, a, has been a tireless champion of, you know, equality and human rights. You know, so there's a lot of the, you know, the boxes are already filled. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Gavin Duffy was sort of attempting the, I, you know, he speaks to the head, I speak to the heart. But I think a lot of people went, well, no, we actually really like Michael D in our hearts. <laughs> and he has so, dogs. And, and he, he has dogs. Two cute dogs. Not He's a poet. <laughs> you know, and I think there are, you know, I mean, for instance, you know, there was a sort of a slight f- sort of um, frodder in the room, to use the Waterford expression, when a question, one of the councillors put a question to uh, to Joan Freeman, oskelga uh, and she came back and she just came up, fessed up front saying, you know, look, I actually, I'm ashamed how little Irish I was mm-hmm. speak and I, you know, I can't. Which is, you know, lots of people can't speak Irish. I mean, I can stumble through a few, you know, phrases, but I'm still traumatized by Peg. Um, but you know, the, we would like our head of state to be fluent in Irish, yeah. or at least have a ideally decent, have yeah, a grasp. I course. mean, have a grasp. It is the national language, and we would like our head of state to have some. But so, you know, I'm yeah, I agree with Sinead. I don't think any of them have covered themselves in glory. Yeah. I mean, you know, we we there could be a dark horse, yes, yet yet to gallop out of a, you know, onto the the stage, and we'll all give them the dark horse, the same treatment, you know, another.
2: I, I think it probably would be far more depressing if, if, you know, in one sense, Michael D wasn't running again and an election had been thrust upon us. You really would be seriously uninspired by. Well, I think the a lot of, of see. I, so I think a lot so more forward.
3: heavyweight candidates, and you know, with would with great respect in. to the yeah. people who are who are looking seeking a nomination yeah. now. But I think if Michael D had taken himself off the pitch, I think there would have been a few, you know, a few heavyweight would have would come have, forward because there was a few yes, names circulating
0: so. for a while, and they didn't really come to the yeah, surface. and I, now, I just think so,
3: a lot of people who really would genuinely like it and. Under other circumstances, you know, might have a shot at it. You know, they're sort of looking and the at parties Mike and would have had nice. to put up
2: somebody. You know, for the most part, which they have chosen not to do
3: across. Okay. The you country know, either. so and I just think, you know, the, the odds are that you know. He, it's he's not. He's a formidable guy to go up against. Let's put yeah. it that way.
0: Well, we'll see if anybody else does come out of the woodwork between now uh, and the race itself. But we'll have to leave it there for now. My thanks to this morning's panel: Lee's Hand, political columnist with the Times Ireland edition, and Sinead Ryan, personal finance and consumer columnist with Independent News and Media. We'll have lots more on on the record just after this. On the record, on, on News Talk.